I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I found in my own life I gain even more from these inspired sermons when I study them in greater depth. The basic pattern is to identify the fundamental doctrine or principle that's being taught. Find any invitations associated with and related to that doctrine or principle. And then also recognizing the promised blessings if we act in accordance with that invitation. Welcome to Words of the Prophets, a podcast where we discuss the latest talks from the General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Todd, and today I have with me my friend Rivka. How are you, Rivka? Hi, I'm doing great. Good. Awesome. Excited to be here, as always. uh, Me too, as always. It's always fun to talk about General Conference. Um, Any invitations you want to update us on? Um, What I'm working on right now is really just personal prep for the next conference coming up and trying to get my, um, I've been thinking a lot about the parable of the sower and the different um, types of ground that those seeds fall on. And, and that's just kind of been going through my mind this week as I'm trying to prep my, my heart to be soil that will be receptive to whatever the Lord has to say, which sounds a lot easier sometimes than it is, because if we're really prepping to accept anything he has to say, it means we have to accept anything he has to say to us, you know, and right. the invitations that inevitably come that will change us, which is always uncomfortable. Um, very good. I don't think of general conference as an uncomfortable experience, but definitely sometimes we feel convicted, right? And we yes. need no, to be open to change. General conference isn't necessarily uncomfortable, but sometimes those invitations for the things we specifically need to change are like, oh... Yes. I don't want to work on that. <laughs> right. You might yeah. say you're trying to be meek in preparation for general conference. Is I, that right? I am. Yes. Which, as, mm. as we're going to discuss, is an active and not a passive. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, we'll come back to that shortly. But first, <laughs> we also have with us today, Burke. How are you, Burke? I'm great. Happy to be here. Awesome. Happy to have you here. And uh, what invitations have you been working on lately? So I was going to be really original and say that I'm just kind of getting prepped for general conference. Uh, <laughs> Rivka went first. So <laughs> there's so, a win for marital unity. Yeah. Once again, yeah. that that was my thing I'm working on as well. Just trying to get my, yeah, my mind and my preparation in the right place. And yeah, prepared to take awesome. notes and learn much. Fantastic. Well, as I mentioned, my name is Todd, but I do not have any new invitations to update on. I think last one, I talked about the ones I've been working on this whole time. So nothing new to add here. So we'll jump right in. And as we mentioned earlier, we're going to discuss a talk about meekness called Meek and Lowly of Heart by Elder David A. Bednar. This one is a greatest hit from April 2018. So we've already finished all of October 2022. So now we're just doing a couple of greatest hits before the April 2023 conference. So I believe Rivka picked this talk. So we'll start with Rivka. What was your fundamental doctrine from this talk? Well, one of the reasons I picked this talk is because I absolutely love when he gave it. I love this definition that he gives of meekness that was so clarifying for me and, and just really helpful for me to see how to develop this as as a Christ-like quality. So here's the definition he gives. Meekness 
is a defining attribute of the Redeemer and is distinguished by righteous responsiveness, willing submissiveness, and strong self-restraint. The Christ-like quality of meekness often is misunderstood in our contemporary world. Meek is, meekness is strong, not weak, active, not passive, courageous, not timid, restrained, not excessive, modest, not self-aggrandizing, and gracious, not brash. A meek person is not easily provoked, pretentious, or overbearing, and readily acknowledges the accomplishments of others. I loved it because he's right. So often when we hear about meekness or that word is used, it's like mousy and timid and shy and and is not the sort of quality that a lot of people want to develop. So I loved when he gave this talk that it helped me to see what... Um, what Jesus Christ meant when he said, I am meek and lily of heart, and why that is such a defining characteristic of Jesus Christ. Fantastic. This was really the core of the talk here, I think. So I do want to spend a chunk of time on it right now, Rivka. Okay. Um, it sounds so much like a the way he defined it as one of the core sort of Christ-like qualities that we should develop, but I wouldn't necessarily have thought of it meekness that way before really diving into this talk. So I want to talk about some of these characteristics and what they might mean. And Burke, feel free to jump in on any of them uh, that you want. So, so I actually did have something I wanted to bring up kind of before oh, we get please. to the characteristic part, because right at the beginning, he says, you know, meekness is not weakness. But if you look up meek in the dictionary, this is Merriam-Webster, um, mm -hmm. mild, submissive, moderate. And it's kind of like, okay, um, that seems like weak. And then, so I went ahead and went to the Blue Letter Bible, and um, which is a Bible where you can pull up the Greek word that's used in a scripture and see all the different translations for it. And I actually used the scripture from Numbers 12.3 where it talks about Moses being meek. And the word used in the Greek word is anav. And its definitions, at least in biblical usage, are poor, humble, afflicted, needy, weak, weak and afflicted, humble, lowly, meek. So I there's part of my mind that's like we says it's not weak, but that word that was used actually means weak. And so I feel like what he's actually telling us, and this is the revelation part of this, is the word that was used in the scripture doesn't def fully define the characteristic that these people exhibited. So I think it's good to go back to that and say this might be the closest word we have in the English language to the characteristic that we were supposed to understand, but we define it differently or it normally comes up differently. And I think that's an important thing to start with so that as we talk about meekness, what we realize is we're getting new knowledge about a characteristic of people, you know, prophets and the savior and many other people in history that the Greek word used to describe it in scripture translates to meekness, but that doesn't fully explain the attribute. So, okay. Thank you, Burke. I, I actually really love that. So, uh, it's not that this is the only definition it's that, or maybe it's not that we misunderstood it because we just, um, weren't paying attention. It's maybe because mm -hmm. there is a valid definition of meekness that is weakness, basically. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're, uh, he's presenting a higher and holier version 
of yeah, the term. Yeah, an understanding of the word that is incomplete in our modern day understanding. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Well, let's talk about some of the characteristics from that fundamental doctrine. So, um, Rivka, you sort of bridged a, a few paragraphs with your fundamental doctrine. So I'm going to go back up to the first thing you said. Um, so it's a defining attribute of the Redeemer. That's really important. And the first thing he says is righteous responsiveness. So what 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 does that mean even? Uh, I mean, it sounds very alliterative, but what does that mean? Righteous responsiveness. Well, so this definition comes after he shares three scriptural, well, two scriptural and one um, example from President Nelson and President Eyring. So he shares three different examples of stories and he does it before he really talks about we're looking for meekness and he's he's asking what sort of qualities we see in the people in these stories. So with the righteous responsiveness, he does kind of a compare and contrast between the the rich young man in the New Testament who asks the Savior, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And the Savior tells him to keep the commandments. And he's like, I've done that. What else do I need to do? And he says, he tells him that he needs to give his money to the poor and come follow him. That was the instruction that the Savior gave to this individual. And that young man went away. It says he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Um, and then he contrasts that with Amulek in the Book of Mormon, um, who he says was basically a good man, but was distracted by worldly concerns, much like the rich young man described in the New Testament. Um, but there was a time in Amulek's life when he was called and it said he, it says he forsook all his gold and silver and his precious things. So kind of contrasting the responses that each of those two in that, in those moments gave and both of them basically asked to do the same thing. And one of them had, I guess what he is calling a righteous responsiveness and the other was less um, righteous in his response at that time. So when the call comes, are we righteously responding or the invitations come, you know, what's our, what is our level of responsiveness like? Awesome. So responding to the call to serve the Lord in some way, Burke, how might we apply that in the modern era? So, um, it's not, although we do live the law of consecration in a form it's not often that the Lord says, leave everything you have um, and uh, leave all your possessions and follow me. So how do we how do we make ourselves righteously responsive in the modern day? Well, he shares the example of um, President Monson asking uh, the church to study the Book of Mormon. And uh, President Nelson and President Eyring both then shared in conference things they had done to immediately increase their study of the Book of Mormon. And from where we sit, it would be reasonable to assume that they, they pretty much know the Book of Mormon real well, right? They've been studying it their sure. whole lives, but they still, they didn't use that as a disclaimer for them or an exemption for them. They immediately went and did it. And it says here, they demonstrated in their responses, no hesitation or sense of self-importance. They didn't feel like it was beneath them and they didn't wait. They just went ahead and did it. Awesome. And yeah, I think Elder Irene said he had read the Book of Mormon every day for 50 years. Yeah. Uh, so certainly he knows the Book of Mormon. 
And President Nelson, even though he wasn't giving this talk, he, you know, we couldn't have a talk that mentioned him without an invitation. So yeah, <laughs> in it, in his little quote, he talked about the way he'd studied the Book of Mormon. And he's like, I invite you to do the same thing. Yep. Um, so pretty impressive. So being responsive to invitations of our leaders, uh, particularly, you know, the prophet in this case, um, even if perhaps it's uh, something that might seem like you've already done it or don't need to do it. Uh, I think of callings as well on the local level, you know, being willing to serve in callings and, and, and of people who do leave their possessions. I think of missionaries, of course, I happen to have two missionaries right at this moment. So that's top of mind for me, but, uh, you know, they've certainly left a, a chunk of their lives behind all of their lives really. And they're out serving the Lord. So those well, are ways to be responsive. Yeah, and, and the other reason I bring up that specific example is because I remember when this happened in conference, then I remember, you know, the next conference when it got talked about. Um, and when the invitation was given, my thought was, well, I study the Book of Mormon every day. So kudos to me. I'll just keep doing it. And, uh. then, and then to have, you know, <laughs> six months later, I'd be like, well, that was not the right thing. <laughs> so, again, Elder Bednar just bringing down the uh, conviction. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's... I appreciated that um, Elder Bednar put this in the part where he's talking about Amulek. He says the Amulek himself described, uh, he described himself as a man who was called many times, but would not hear a man who knew the things of God, but would not know. So he, he had had apparently a number of chances already. And I love that he put that in because the invitations just will continue to come. Heavenly Father does not give up on us. He doesn't say you've had your chance, you've blown it. And so, you know, I I love that that was a part of this thing where your righteous responsiveness, this is one of the things we can get better at and improve on and that the Lord will just continue to invite us and is thrilled when we accept the invitation and is patient when we don't and will continue to invite. Right. Okay. So just like any other characteristics, we can keep working on our righteous responsiveness and uh, I mean, responding to invitations. We have to, because yes. none of us are going to get this in the first try. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, the next one he talks about is willing submissiveness, similar to righteous responsiveness, but not the same. So what do you think about that one, Rivka? What does that mean? Um, The... Willing submissiveness. This is a hard one, isn't it? Because this is one that sounds weak. Um, but I think one, it's important that we know exactly what and to whom we're submitting. But one of the examples that he gives of this one is the example of um, Pahoran and Moroni, an exchange of letters between Captain Moroni and Pahorn, who was the chief judge and the governor of the land. And Moroni was angry because he had asked for some help and some support uh, from the government and it had not come. And so Moroni, can you picture this general of the armies just ripping into the other, you know, some letter that's just like, you sent us out here and then you've abandoned us and we're suffering and what is going on thinking that they're just, I don't know, partying and having a good time. And Pahoran gets the letter and instead of responding in a similar tone back and saying, well, you have no idea what's been going on here. How dare you? 
do this. Instead, he just writes back and he's like, he grieves with him. You know, I don't take joy in this. I'm so sorry. And then he lets him know, I'm not angry that you were, I totally understand that response. Here's what's been going on here. You have such a good heart. Keep up the good work. We're trying on this end too. And I think that, (laughs) that, um, being able to hear what Moroni was saying and, and to act he talks about it. Wait, let's see. What does he say? Oh, acting rather than reacting, dealing with, um, I don't just, just being able to understand we're all doing this thing together, that the Lord has something in mind and we're all doing our own parts. And so we'll submit to the Lord and we will work together. I just think that's, that's an interesting example, um, of that too. It all, that one also has to do with the strong self-restraint, which is the third one. But willingly submitting even to sort of like being taken to task by someone who was not um, his superior. You know, I think by all accounts, the chief judge would have been the superior of the two. But he he allows himself to be taken to task by Moroni and grieves with him and sorrows with the struggle that he's in rather than telling him off. Right. Telling him to quit whining and complaining. (laughs) That probably would have been what I said. I know, whining. I we have a tough here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very natural human response. So, which is probably why Elder Bednar used this example because he he goes ahead and, and takes it from someone who is not his superior, who probably doesn't really have the right to say that to him. But instead of getting defensive and and puffing his shirt up and. Uh, he he empathizes and and grieves and sorrows and gives support. Okay, great. Burke, how do we apply willing submissiveness to our daily lives then? So I think the first place that I had to start living this, at least in the last number of years, is as a parent. If you think on the number of times you have to let your child tell you about something that you already know about. <laughs> oh, Yes. And appear interested, you know, (laughs) but this is useful. I run into this even at work, you know, because I spend so much time reading, studying, driving, listening to podcasts that it's rarely where something comes up at work that people discuss that I don't know more about it than most of the people in the room. But generally speaking, I don't volunteer my opinion unless my question is asked because then you just become that jerk in the corner, you know? So I think this becomes so useful in really connecting with people and being willing to listen to what they know and, and yes, help, you know, when, when they have questions or when they're looking for advice, but so often being willing to validate other people's understanding of things is, Mm -hmm. is really useful. That's a fantastic insight, Burke. I, I never would have thought of it that way. So I appreciate that. That was really good. Um, you both talked about preparing for conference. I think willing submissiveness is a great way to approach conference. Um, and I think over the past few years, uh, people in the church have been, you know, upset about one decision of the church or another from all sides of every political spectrum. And so no matter who you are and what you believe, Um, At some point, you've had to be submissive over over the last few years to maybe something that you didn't agree with or didn't like. Um, So 
And, uh, and whether that, if that hasn't happened to you, it will someday just wait. And, uh, so at some point it will. So that's a characteristic that has always happened in every age of the gospel. So we always have to be submissive to, to the Lord's, um, the Lord's truth, even if it doesn't match how we feel sometimes and eventually we get there. So. Great. So Rivka briefly mentioned, um, you know, strong restraint, uh, strong self-restraint. I'm going to come back to that because it's mentioned again later. And Burke, I want to go to you for these. So he groups some things together and he says um, that meekness is strong, not weak, active, not passive, and courageous, not timid. And all of those seem to fit with what you were talking about earlier. There's sort of almost the opposite of what we would normally think of, or maybe sort of what the current definition of meekness is. So in what ways does meekness capture those, you know, strong traits, strength, activeness, and courageousness? I think primarily the word I would use to describe that is control. Um, When situations happen, it's your ability to control the natural man's general response to that situation. I mean, he brings up a lot of this throughout the talk, but there's so many, like even how often in any form of conflict, especially in our world on media, whatever, when someone's belief is under is challenged or when a lack of understanding is demonstrated, anger is where you go, right? You go to aggression to make Mm -hmm. up for some perceived Mm -hmm. deficiency and meekness is not that meekness is realizing that you may have a deficiency or you may be wrong and rather then going for aggression, um, you have to actively choose a different response, just like I'm sure Pehoran did. Actively choose to acknowledge that Moroni just wanted the right thing for the people and that they were on the same page in that, even though he had been censured. So I think that really comes down to a willingness to control the reaction the natural man goes to first. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Burke. Takes some active strength to restrain yourself, to control yourself, to listen to another person's point of view, to engage with them and uh, be humble about it um, and, and takes courage to sort of um, hang on to your convictions, but also um, not approach it in, a, in the way the natural man would and, and be angry and, and self-righteous about it. Yeah. And then also being willing to stand up for Jesus Christ when it's necessary, kind of being on the flip side of that. So Awesome. And you know, I'm gave, wondering, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, yeah. I'm wondering, as you were talking about that, Burke, and I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about the, the weakness and the meekness part, that, that maybe as we're discussing this, it's not that meekness means we don't acknowledge weakness or we don't have it, but maybe meekness is recognizing, um, recognizing where our weaknesses are, like we have tendencies to react and and cover because we're afraid of the weaknesses. And we think that it devalues us. But maybe meekness is saying, of course, I have weaknesses. And I can, I can do these things, I can act and I can strengthen myself in these areas that feel weak, or the Savior can help me become stronger in this. And so I don't need to be afraid of, of a lack of strength in an area. And, and it doesn't need to be something that oppresses me or um, injures the way that I feel about myself. So it, maybe they're not 
contrasting things like, or even the same weakness and meekness, but maybe meekness is an ability to view our weaknesses as, um, I don't know, I don't know, sort of just a, just a situation and maybe morally neutral in and of themselves and just something to be worked on. Hmm. I I like that. (laughs) So instead of feeling, um, maybe that sort of goes along with just the, the, massive amount of perfectionism that exists in the world today that these weaknesses feel so that we all have, they feel so shameful and they feel so painful. And, um, you know, the Bednar index is easy to get up to nine or 10. And (laughs) so he's, you're saying if you're, if you have meekness and, and part of that is that active strength and courage, then you realize like, that's, that's just part of who we are and our experience. Mm-hmm. And we're not threatened by our own weakness and we recognize the opportunity to get better and improve. Does that sound like yeah, what you're saying? I think so. And in that Amulek would be a great example in that way too, because if he was a man who had been called many times, it wouldn't hear and knew the things of God, but wouldn't know. You can see how it would be really easy for him to then just get very um, self-depreciating and self-critical to the point where he says, then I'm just, I'm an awful person. I'm not worthy. I'll never be good enough. But at some point he was like, oh, well, this is, this is the time I'm going to respond. And he just went on from there. Right. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Uh, as elder Maxwell says, the distant mountain peak beckons, it doesn't scold. So yes, it's a a Maxwellian Mm -hmm. way to say the same thing. I love it. Um, so he finishes out that paragraph uh, that meekness is restrained, not excessive, modest, not self-aggrandizing, gracious, not brash, not easily provoked, pretend, uh, not pretentious or overbearing, and readily acknowledges the accomplishments of others. So mm-hmm. lots of other characteristics there. Um, so we spent the whole time on that one section, but of course we brought in a lot of the other examples he had. So want to just cover any other areas that, that really stood out to us. And and we'll go back to Burke because we haven't even really gotten to your fundamental doctrine. So Burke, did you have a different fundamental doctrine or, or something else that really stood out to you? Well, I marked other stuff from that same area, but we covered it all. So yes, I agree. We're talking about meekness in this talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. Um, I, I marked a backup fundamental doctrine because I knew that one would be taken. Mm-hmm. And it's down at the end where he says promise and testimony. And um, I don't think, again, that I would have identified meekness as so fundamental as he makes it out to be here. He says Mormon identifies meekness as the foundation from which all spiritual capacities and gifts arise. Wow, that's yeah. pretty impressive. Um, yeah. So I really appreciated that. Um, and just, he, you know, hammer hose, hammers home the importance, uh, Rivka, what, what's the difference between meekness and humility? Oh, I really liked that. He talked about this in this talk. Um, here's how he kind of defines the two as he compares them or contrasts them. He says, whereas humility generally denotes dependence upon God and the constant need for his guidance and support. A distinguishing characteristic of meekness is a particular spiritual receptivity to learning 
both from the Holy Ghost and from people who may seem less capable, experienced, or educated, who may not hold important positions, or who otherwise may not appear to have much to contribute. So our humility, we're, we're depending on God, and we generally agree that he is more capable and experienced and educated, and he does hold important positions, <laughs> and he does have much to contribute, right? Like, he is, he is the source of all of that. So if we're at a point where we're believing God and want to follow him, that seems to be an easier effort than learning from and being willing to do all of those same things from people who, at least by earthly standards and measuring sticks, seem less than us in some way. Like Burke was talking about with the kids sometimes, or maybe someone who's teaching uh, a class or a leader at church. Or, you know, someone, uh, someone you know at work who is training you on something and you're like, you're, you're a kid, you've been out of, like, you've been an adult for two and a half years. How can you possibly be teaching me this stuff? <laughs> but, um, but that seems to be what Elder Bednar is, is making that distinction between humility and meekness, that humility is a is a willing submission to God and meekness would also branch out to include a willing submissiveness to those around us who can teach and have um, or be examples and have value to us in that way, but may not ostensibly seem so. Awesome. Great, great discussion. Thank you, Rivka. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more in this talk. There's a great discussion of the example that the Savior gives to us of meekness. So encourage everybody to go read it. Before we get to promises and invitations, Burke, this was a talk from Elder Bednar, who was about meekness. It was very doctrinal focused. Where were you on the Bednar Index? Well, you know, I felt like kind of a four to five going through most of it. I'm like, it's in the middle there. Yeah, I need. And then we got down to the part you kind of brought up where he talks about meekness being the foundation. And I swear the scripture, <laughs> he invented this, but I went back. It is it is actually in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But it says he, <laughs> he cannot have faith and hope save he shall be meek and lowly of heart. And I was like, oh, 10. I'm at a 10. Like, I, I don't even have like I, I've worried for years. I don't feel like I have all that much faith. and I'm always working on faith and hope. And I was like, I wasn't even focusing on the right stuff. I need to be focusing on meekness. I can't even get there yet. So. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yes. 10, 10 out of 10. I I love it, Burke. I, I too, was like completely shocked when I read that scripture and I was like, how many times have I read this? And I did not, that did not register in any way. Yeah. So I mean, you can't I've have faith made, and hope without being meek. Yeah. I've even made the joke here. Like, you know, I'll, I'll move on to the deep doctrine when I get past faith and repentance. Yeah. No, I can't even get to faith yet. I got to work on meekness. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was a shocker. Yeah. So yeah, he didn't make it up. It's in the scriptures. It's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I checked. No, that's a real quote. Yeah. <laughs> Been there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what general conference is for, right? Help us re-examine the scriptures in a new way. So I appreciate that he brought that up. That was that was that was a, a gut punch. Yeah. So yeah, and I can I can picture Mormon looking down at me and being like, Yeah, I was there the whole time. 
<laughs> Thousands I wrote of years. it just for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he wouldn't because he's meek. He'd probably exactly. just be really excited for you. That I finally yeah. found it. He's like, yeah. And at all, not at all like, <laughs> finally, it took you forever. That's not how he'd be. Yes. Right. Uh, the other Mormon might might have been like that. Like, <laughs> what took you so long, dude? Yeah. Uh, or other Moroni, I Moroni. should say. Yeah. Uh, uh, Burke, let's let's finish off with promises and invitations. So after you hit 10 out of 10 on the Bednar Index, did you find any promises or invitations here? Uh, so I didn't mark anything specific. I got to that point and I was like, I just have to work on being meek, I guess. So Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just, kinda, just be it, meek. And then I even looked over the talk and all my markings. I was like, I have marked no invitations or promises. So uh, I guess Rivka and Todd are going to have to carry this one because I'm just <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Rivka, did you have anything specific besides just be meek? For his invitation? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. I, no, I think that's the invitation. But I love the blessing that the Savior gives. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I think as we've talked about this, and we've talked about having having a self-restraint that gives you the capacity to live a life where you can have the spirit to always be with you. Um, and, and if, if you're able to learn from any experience or anything that, you know, anyone who comes in your way, who has something to teach you that it makes sense to me that the blessing then would be that you could inherit the earth because then you have the capacity to receive anything there is to receive. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. What a tremendous blessing. Yeah. Um, the, the one that stood out to me was both a, an invitation and a promise at the same time. And, um, it says meekness is an essential aspect of the divine nature. Um, I, I didn't fully understand the phrasing there aspect of the divine nature, but I, I guess he just means any divine nature or the divine nature of, of the savior. I don't know. And can be received and developed in our lives because of, and through the savior's atonement. So the invitation is access the power of the atonement to become meek. And the promise is the Savior's atonement will help you become meek. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of developing divine characteristics through the atonement, not just repenting of your sins, but growing more to become more like the Savior through the atonement. So I took that as a promise and an invitation. And mm -hmm. then at the end, he says, I promise that he, meaning the Savior, will guide, protect, and strengthen us as we walk in the meekness of his spirit. So what a fantastic talk, um, really great doctrine and, uh, and fundamental doctrine that perhaps is often overlooked. Um, so the next talk we will discuss is also a greatest hit. It is We Can Do Better and Be Better by President Russell M. Nelson. Guarantee that we are all high on the Bednar Index as we read this one. Um, <laughs> but hopefully with, with added measures of joy here as well. Um, so in the meantime, you can get a hold of us on social media at Words of the Prophets Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or Words of the Prophets Podcast at gmail.com. So thanks for joining us today. And until next time, keep the faith.
If we teach by the Spirit, and you listen by the Spirit, some one of us will touch on your circumstance, sending a personal prophetic epistle just to you.